This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 231, and this week I am pleased to be joined by a returning guest. Hello, Harley. Hey, John. How are you going? Uh, pretty good. It's one of these, like, whenever Richard Joe start the flagship out sometimes, and they're like, oh, let me ask you how you're doing. Like, we didn't just talk for 20 minutes. That's just what happened here. It's not every week on uh, Omakase when, like, I, I have that long of a chat with the guest before we start, but... It was this week, so it's like, ah, how you doing? We've already been talking for 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't know it's what you're talking done. about. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say for the first time. <laughs> but yeah, I just got home from a, uh, a a lovely vacation in western New York, which was even more lovely considering it was uh, a last-minute replacement for another vacation uh, in Reno slash Tahoe that I could not go on because Lake Tahoe is unfortunately on fire. Actually, don't, I haven't been checking the updates. I don't know if it's still on fire or not. Like Once you decide to move the trip, it's really not as uh, as pressing to check in with. I mean, I hope it's not on fire anymore, but I really haven't been uh, checking it every day like I was leading up to the decision to cancel. But uh, yeah, those wildfires are pretty bad. And I was like, it's one of those things where it's like, once you get to a certain point when the wildfires are still going, uh, it got to a point where it's like, even if they're technically out before we go, it just felt vaguely like disrespectful to show up there and be like, "Hey, I'm here to vacation. I'm here to use this private beach at this resort, and uh, please serve me and me and my girlfriend, and please give us all the drink." Like, it just felt very, very disrespectful. They they may have just gotten back to their homes. Like I did not want to be the first person uh, to come use it as a resort again. It just felt I'll let somebody else do that. No, and, it's uh, not great optics <laughs> to do things like that. Yeah, no, not yeah, at all. I did not want to do that. Hey, but a holiday's but, a holiday, John. Yeah, it was good, though. I mean, the Western New York, it wasn't quite my first time there because uh, I went there all the way back in 2005. I think I told the story already, but I went there in 2005 uh, to see Shima and Shingo Takagi on the Ring of Honor show there. Uh, Little did I know I would see them both about a million times more after that. But at the time, I felt like, oh, they're bringing Shima and Shingo. I have to go all the way to Buffalo for this. (laughs) But it was, uh, you know, I've seen them both like, I don't know, 10 times now, probably. But the you know so that was my first time there but i really didn't see anything of the area like it was pretty much just drive up uh hang out with some other wrestling fans go to the show drive back we did go to duff's which i did again this time just duff's is like uh 
it wasn't the place that invented the buffalo wing. That's called uh, a different place called Anchor Bar. We also went there on this trip, although didn't get the wings. Uh, but Duff's is like considered, you know, uh, I, I, what like a lot of people consider it to be the best. Now it's kind of touristy, so people will say it's not actually the best. But for a while, like people consider it to be the best. Um, and we went up, we went up there to the original Duff's on this trip too as well just to see how it held up 15 years later i i don't know if it held up as much as uh i mean it was fine but it wasn't like i remembered it from 15 years ago so it may have been a leave the memories alone situation (laughs) but yeah that was about the only thing i did uh you know 15 15 years ago this time obviously a lot did a lot more stuff uh if people follow me on twitter they probably already saw a lot of it went to niagara falls for two days uh, went over to the Canadian side too on Tuesday, which obviously is, uh, you know, they, they just reopened, uh, American Canadian travel. And if, uh, like for tourists, I mean, and <laughs> if there's any indication, actually, I can't tell this. I, so coming back from Canada, I could not tell if the American border patrol agent was being rude to us because, he was like, oh, the, look at these two fuckers feeling like they got to go cross the fucking border uh, during the middle of all this shit. Or if he's just an asshole because pretty much all American border agents I've ever encountered are complete assholes. I really couldn't tell. I think it could just be the latter. But so like going into Canada, the Border Patrol agent was very nice. She was like, you know. Uh, you know, how, what are you guys coming for? We're just like, oh, we just want to see the falls from the Canadian side. And she was very apologetic that we got picked for this randomized COVID testing uh, because we wouldn't even get the results until we're back in America. But I guess the idea is if you come over the border, you have to have, you have to be vaccinated and you have to have a negative test already, which we, you know, we have both of those things already, but like this way, if you come over, they give you this test and you would get the results back in a day or two. And theoretically, if you're still in the country, then you would quarantine or by law, I think you have to quarantine if it was positive. And, you know, she was just like, oh, but you're, you're going back. You know, we're telling her we're going to go back to America today. We're just driving in and then driving out. And, uh, you know, she was like, OK, well, you're not even going to you're not going to have these results before you're back in your own country. But, you know, it was still good to know I didn't have COVID, I guess. But That's they, always did a plus. The they get the results a couple of days later. Uh, but, yeah, the Canadian side of Niagara Falls, it wasn't what I, what I was expecting at all, really. It was like extremely tourist touristy i guess like there's this one stretch that's basically i don't know what it, it looks like a carnival or something like it has you know like a hall of mirrors and a haunted house and uh just a ton of every like family and chain restaurant you can ever think of and it's like it's very strange like it wasn't all i did not know they had this because the american side of niagara falls is very like people always say the canadian side is better and the view the view of the main falls from the Canadian side is definitely better. Uh, but you can get up closer to it on the American side, which is kind of cool. But the actual view on the Canadian side is better. But, like, other than the view, I think I prefer the, the like the more understated American side to the, you know, you could see understated as in, like, not very built up or whatever. But the Canadian side just kind of felt like a weird tourist trap. It's like, oh, here's miniature golf. Here's go-karts. Here's... Uh, like I said, a house of mirrors. It was very, like, very strange, uh, very jarring. Not what I was expecting, but right. Because yeah, the... in, in in obviously, I've never been to Niagara Falls. Um, but oh, when you watch television, you, 
and they were scenes are set there, you only ever really see the fall. You don't like so I've got you no see. I've no idea what is actually there other than yeah, the waterfall. I, I was picturing more like a just a state park, which is what the American side pretty much is like. It's just like a little park. The Canadian side is like, oh, you're in the middle of a real tourist trap here. And it was very it was very strange. But Ooh. uh yeah. Now you're making me want to go to that one too. <laughs> just just to yeah, see the, it. It is it is really weird, but yeah, they, they, there's a there's a specific term for the that that street at something hill. I don't remember what it, what the first word is called, but it's like one specific street that's just like the big tourist trap part of it. But other than that, it was cool though. The uh, like there's different things you can do where you go on each side where like you can get a boat ride that takes you right up through the mist and gets you very wet uh, of the falls, and you can stand under the the baby falls on the American side the. I think it's called Bridal Veil Falls, the smallest one, and which I did. I, I took a little video of that, and uh, I to give a shout out to Voice of Wrestling's Paul Vosch for making the funniest joke about it, where he was like, "Now you're ready to face Okada at New Beginning." He <laughs> 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 so just have to paint my paint my face and body, I guess. That's a good. But that's yeah. a good bit. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, so like that, the falls are cool. Um, I don't know what else. Like the Monday, Tuesday, we're at the falls. Wednesday, Thursday, we drove to uh allegheny state park which is like about an hour and a half away and that was just like to see this giant park uh you know with this it had a nice little lake it had a historic little house basically i was just looking for something else we could do uh in the area without driving too far because it was like i i knew that there wasn't enough at niagara falls i mean some people told me niagara falls will last an hour those people i think undersold it like i thought we had plenty to do for the two days but by the time the two days were over, we had done pretty much everything. So it, I was glad that I didn't try to stretch it out to more than two days. So we left and went to the Allegheny, which, you know, had a nice state park and then also had a uh, a casino called Seneca Allegheny, which was kind of cool just because they're one of the only places left in the Northeast, at least, that still has $5 tables. So I lost all my money, but I lost it much slower than I would have. So that was nice, I guess. Uh, and then we went back to Buffalo for the last night. And just kind of relax there before our flight. But it was a good little trip. It was the most driving I've done in like probably like eight years or something. Like I, I don't have a car in New York City. So, you know, I was a little nervous about driving us around. Like we rented a car, uh, got a, this nice little Toyota Camry, which was uh, handled very well, honestly. I, didn't, I did not know the Camry uh, could be such a fun car to drive. But yeah, and we had like... But I was like a little nervous about driving us all these miles, it ended up being like 232 miles total. But like, I don't know. Once the moment I started doing it, I was like, oh, okay, this is, even though it's been a while, it's uh, it's really not hard. Like, it comes back to you very quickly. So I was like, it's very, it was very easy just to drive us all around. Uh, and just renting a car was much easier and uh, like a much simpler process than I thought it would be. I, I'd never really done it before but now i'm just like i don't know why i've never done this before it actually isn't super expensive and it's actually not that complicated i I, I don't know in my head i thought it was more complicated than it was or something so if you're like me and you've been afraid to rent a car all this time i guess uh go out there and rent one if you're in america anyway i don't know what it's like and you know anywhere else but no i've only rented a car once and it was uh yeah it was you just pay you pay the fee you pay like a, a bond which you get back if you don't mess the car up and then yeah. you, off you go you just drop it off at whichever airport you're leaving in yeah i don't know why i thought it was more complicated than that i don't know what i thought it was but i just never did it before so 
Well, I've also uh, rented a car in Austin too to drive to San Antonio um, mm-hmm. in one of my two American trips. Uh, and that seemed also pretty easy. But what I found very jarring was driving on the wrong side of the road. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, do, yeah. My I head, I was head checking the wrong way. Going, trying to exit a freeway was like a nightmare just because instinctually I'm driving on the right side of the road or the left side of the road and the exits over here are on the left. Whereas the exit's over where you are on the right. So just, I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready for the exit ramp. And then you sort of <laughs> see it and you're like, fuck, fuck, fuck. And you've just got to, you know, just a real, real jarring sort of stuff. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I'm, I was very happy to go to, like, that was my first time ever driving in a foreign country in Canada. And it's like, thank God they drive on the same side of the road we drive on. I don't know if I was ready. It was, it was like jarring enough just driving a car again. At first, but, but I got into it. I got It was very easy once I got into it. I think I'm a pretty good driver anyway. So, you know, I, I know there's some people I know, I'm not going to name names, who they, they don't probably listen anyway. There's some people I know who like really ride their brake, like really ride their brake. And I'm in the car with this person a lot. And it can start to make you feel a little sick after a while. And it's like, you're, you're supposed to ride the gas. Like basically, you know, most people listening to this, I'm sure drive. If you, if you don't, you know, I don't know, whatever, but you basically you should be able to like, uh, come to like a, a, a nice rolling stop pretty often, or just like decelerate by letting your foot off the gas. So most people don't need to hit the, hit the brake that often, unless they really have to stop at the end. They just need a little help to stop. Uh, this is not how my friend, let's just say, drives. He just, instead of riding the gas, he rides the brake. It's like, eh, brake, eh, brake. You know, just really hitting that brake over and over again. It starts to make you feel a little sick after a while. And I remember Nicole was in the car with me. And, you know, she's also been in the in the car uh, with this person driving quite a bit. And she was like, you drive so much better than they <laughs> do. And I was like, well, thank you. <laughs> but it was, uh, I definitely made me... Uh, misdriving a little bit but i don't know like a car really is not something i even remotely need here but it was nice to just uh get behind the wheel of my own on my own you know just behind be actually behind the wheel for once instead of having uh other people drive me or uber drivers or whatever the fuck so it was nice definitely kind of want to do it again sometime but maybe i'll maybe i'll work in a rental car into whatever other trip we do next time uh, we wasted a lot of time, though. I I, I, I rambled on forever about uh, my trip. Did you do anything interesting lately, Harley? Um, no. So in, Mel- <laughs> in, in Melbourne, we're still in um, we're still in lockdown. Actually, um, wow. I think I was in lockdown the last time I was on this show. Um, Did this you come out locked out all between? No, no, no. So yeah. we, we we had six months, and then um, the Delta the Delta strain came over, and um, mm. one of our states. Um, with a uh, a right wing leader didn't so what what a lot of our states do is when you get a case we you lock down for three days just like to flush it out and this and this state didn't do that and it sort of seeded in other places uh, including New Zealand um, so yeah so they're still in lockdown too we're still in lockdown and our vaccination rollout as well is is dog shit like our again our right wing prime minister uh, turned down um, Pfizer and and Moderna. Last this time last year as well, he sort of just scoffed their nose at them. Um, so yeah, we, we're only really just I, I'm getting my second dose on Friday, and that's the earliest I could have got it. Right, 
So, but yeah, we've just sort of released a, a roadmap, I guess, out of lockdown. So eventually, as more and more people are double vaccinated, we'll um, we'll more restrictions will get lifted. Um, but yeah, but I'm a, I'm a teacher, so I've just this is my first day of uh, uh, September holiday period. Uh, so that's why I can unfortunately be on the show at ten thirty a.m. Monday. <laughs> yeah, I have to go. I have to go. I have to quote go back to work tomorrow, obviously. But I'm still working from home, so at least I don't have to commute. But uh, at the first day back from vacation is always a fucking disaster. So yeah, I, hate it. I was going to give myself a buffer before I go back. <laughs> definitely not looking forward to it. I mean, it's just like obviously between the fact that you haven't been working all this time and it's been great and. Of course, your inbox is a fucking disaster because you've been gone all week. It's just it's pretty bad. But what are you going to do? Got to get through it anyway. Uh, speaking of things people feel like they have to get through this year, there was a lot of chatter about the G1 Climax being, uh, what's the word, for sickos, right? I think that's definitely something I've seen. Uh, for perverts, <laughs> uh, for crazy people. Uh, during this during this tournament uh, this year with the you know New Japan and Japan still under a lot of COVID restrictions, it is so I, I you know I, I've raised about this a, a lot, right? It, it's it is re- I think what Americans really have ish, like a problem with is it's really hard to tell not even just Americans too, like a lot of Europeans too, because you know the UK I don't think is under any restrictions at all right now. It seems like a lot of uh, people from the UK are really you know, been really up New Japan's ass lately. And it's like, I think it's really hard for some people in America and the UK and other Western nations that have no restrictions at all, you know, and anything related to COVID right now um, to wrap their heads around this country that's still, you know, under states of emergency. Like they still cannot serve alcohol in Japan. I mean, it's not completely shut down the way you guys are, but like, they can't serve alcohol in restaurants. Uh, you know, there's all these other restrictions around movement. You're not supposed to uh, go to another prefecture, although I've heard that one isn't like severely enforced. And obviously, most importantly, you cannot cheer at shows. So I feel like, and and uh, and you know, the attendance is capped, and people are even, I think, voluntarily staying home more during the most recent surge. So I think there's been like a, you know, a tendency among a certain type of Western fan to really downplay the impact that stuff is having because we're, it's not an experience we're living. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like we're, we're not living through that anymore. As far, you know, people are still wearing masks here. Um, it depends on where you are though in America. I mean, there are still, there are some places where they're required. There's some places where they're not required, but a lot of people still wear them. Like, like where I live in New York, uh, when I went to Western New York, I would say, the amount of people wearing masks was probably like 25% or less. Um, but New York City, it's still, you know, I'd say like 75% probably or something. Like it's still very high here. But like masking is really the only thing we're doing. Like, you know, if we're doing that, uh, capacity restrictions are, are obviously gone. You see these videos of people like packing football stadiums and stuff. Obviously, there's never been any restriction on cheering. And, you know, we're, we're watching re- uh, not even just, you know, real sports, but wrestling on television with lots of people cheering and it feel everything feels pretty normal if you're here. So I think there's a tendency to be like overly dismissive about the impact those restrictions have had on Japanese wrestling. But 
And that in turn means that you're more, you're even more like, um, you know, even more hard on New Japan for what's been, you know, a pretty rough few months. I mean, let's be honest. But it's not really being fair to the company. It's not being fair to the fact that they're under, operating under an entirely different set of rules than any American wrestling promotion is right now. Uh, and never mind the fact that a huge chunk of the roster does not want to go to Japan right now, which, you know, again, they can't do anything about that either, except, I guess, try to force them and have them even be more, even more likely to walk as soon as their contracts are over. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these are things that I think, you know, Westerners right now would kind of take for granted that we don't have to deal with, that Japan still has to deal with. So I can understand why some people are really negative on New Japan right now and also uh, are not giving them, you know, any leeway as far as like being under these pandemic restrictions. Because, you know, as far as we can tell, as far as we feel over here, the pandemic does feel pretty over. over. I mean, I'm not saying it should. And if you look at the amount of people who are dying every day in America, it sure as fuck really isn't over. But if feels over to people uh, in a way that I, you know, obviously it makes it hard to, um, you know, relate to what's going on in Japan right now. So, yes, I think that's why you saw a lot of like, oh, New Japan's for sickos. But the first two nights of the G1 were fucking awesome. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if you disagree, but these two nights were really, really good. About as good as they honestly could have been, I think. So maybe people will either back off a little bit of that that take that, you know, anyone watching the G1 is a crazy person, or maybe people will be a little more into it now. I don't know. But the first two nights of G1 were like, these were the best two nights New Japan has had in uh, probably since what? Like, I can't even think of a compare. Like, probably 2019, maybe? Uh, I was going to say since Wrestle Kingdom, but... Oh, oh people, right, 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 right. People did like Wrestle Kingdom this year. Oh, right? no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought you meant yeah. G, G1. G, yeah, I yeah, you meant, yeah. But yeah, no, that was... I, I, I think you're right, definitely. Especially that night two. Maybe because that was just a surprise. Um, I think night one's undercard wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. But the top two certainly felt like, okay, we're, we're in G1 now. Sure. Well, there's one match we're going to de- definitely disagree on them, but we'll guess we'll get to it. From the night one undercard, I'm saying. Oh, did you think one was really bad? I don't know. I thought one was really good. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I'm, we'll go through the star ratings, but I didn't think yeah. anything was particularly impressive. But um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. But but yeah, I agree that night two was a surprise as far as like just really over-delivering. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was it. That's, that's, a, that's the perfect word. It over-delivered. You know, yeah. like how many, how many G1, right? So just a quick spoiler. I only gave one, I, for that night too, I only had one notebook, notebook match. And how many, but how many nights would you gush about a G1 with only one notebook match? But I think because this was, this block was so maligned and you got four, for me, for me at least, four pretty good to very good matches and one pretty incredible match. I like that's that's one of the best New Japan shows I felt like I've seen in in, in months since probably Dominion yeah. when and I and I can't even remember that card except for Shingo winning, you know. Yeah. So definitely a good start here of the G One. That is for sure. Uh, we're gonna go through everything obviously in H One and Two. Before I do that, I just need to mention, of course, the Wrestling Omakase Patreon. Uh, we'll be covering every night of the G One. And also the Noah N1 victory, which we're also covering on this episode. 
every every night of the tournament that does not get covered on a free episode will be covered exclusively on the Patreon. The easiest way to explain it. So if you go over there right now, patreon.com slash wrestling omakase, you pay your five dollars, you get everything we've done so far, which is the uh the episode last week that covered the opening night of the Noah N1. Uh I did a very extensive G1 climax preview. Uh, they, you know, you might might still want to check out one over like an hour and 20 minutes, I think, which I, I recorded it before I left for vacation, but it came out this past Wednesday. Uh, got some very positive feedback on that. So definitely check that one out. I went through every single night. Uh, I rated the card of every night, you know, as far as like how excited I was about that card and what I thought it looked like on paper. So if you're looking to like pick and choose, you know, that you might like, might enjoy that preview episode still. So plus, obviously, you get everything else we've ever done, you know, the Tokyo Dome series and all and all of that stuff. Uh but here, the main thing, obviously, going forward is, you know, a ton of nights of both tournaments will only be covered on the Patreon. So this week, coming up especially, uh, tomorrow, I'll be covering nights three and four of the NOAA N1. Uh, Thursday, I'll be covering night three of the G1. And Friday, I'll be covering night four of the G1. So all those shows will be covered only on the Patreon. Next week's uh, episode will also be Patreon exclusive, because, again, every other episode uh, every other full episode of the show is Patreon exclusive, as you've probably noticed by now. So, you know, even G1 Night 5 and N1 Night 5, that'll be on next week's full episode. But then again, that again will be Patreon exclusive. So the next time uh, you'll hear from me on a free episode won't be until Sunday, October 3rd, so two weeks from now. And it'll be the uh, NOAA N1 Finals and G1 Night 9. So if you want to hear my takes on any of those other shows, Every G1 show from now until night nine and all the M1 shows until the finals, you have to subscribe. Uh, it's only $5. It's at patreon.com slash wrestling The link is also in the description, uh, I think, multiple times, if anything. So very hard to miss. But again, you get all of our daily coverage of both tournaments, every show that we don't cover on a free episode, only on the Patreon. So it's a great time to sign up. And you can always sample anything else you want uh, from the past series I've done. Uh, for instance, if the Okada Tanahashi main event on night two made you uh, want to check out the rest of their matches, I already did a series covering every single Okada Tanahashi match in order, in detail, full reviews. We go through everything else going on in their careers to give you added context of what was going on, you know, leading into each match, which I think would you know make a great audio companion if you want to go in and watch it for the first time. So that's on there, too. Uh, Naito and Ishii is on there, too. The same kind of thing. And Naito and Tanahashi. So those are the three, you know, New Japan feuds I've done. You know, full series of. And so all that stuff is on there, too. Everything else you've ever done. So definitely check it all out at patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase. Again, only $5 to sign up. All right. So... Night one here, the A Block, Saturday, September 18th, from the Edeon Arena Osaka, also known as the Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium. Uh, first off, what do you think of the theme song, Max the Max, from Jam Project? Um, it's not it's not as good as that Man with a Mission song they did a few years ago. Oh, yeah. that was. I actually thought that was, that as a song itself, that's a pretty decent one. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is okay. It's probably yeah. in the middle. A lot of people, a lot of people seem to really like it. So I'm surprised you're like you're one of the more negative people I've heard about it. I don't think it's it, it's not really like catchy to me. Like 
I think that Wrestle Kingdom uh, 14 theme song, as, as sort of as annoying as it is, that was, you know, I was still singing that chorus afterwards. <laughs> this one, I'm not going to go around the house going um, Max and Max. Muscles of the Max. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I like it because it's very, it's very anti-song, which is what, you know, Jam Project does normally, obviously. They, there's people who do... Uh, you know, songs for anime. Oh, I really and like Jam Project. I like, I usually like them, but it doesn't, this one doesn't feel like it's an anime theme song to me, okay. or at least an anime I'd watch. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I saw them live once at Anime Boston. That was pretty cool. But just wanted to throw that out there. They're, they're, they were a cool little live band. I mean, they did the, uh, they did the original Dragon Ball z theme song which was a really fun thing to experience live honestly even though i've actually never been that that big of a dragon ball fan but uh the yeah but so we got that opening then we had the first uh match of the evening a non-tournament match so some of these shows have non-tournament matches and some of them don't it looks like that the shows that are in tokyo or at least in tokyo metropolitan area do not have an undercard which i think is fair enough considering they're the ones, uh, as uh, a snake bitten, pardon the pun, with the coronavirus at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so this one was show defeating. So obviously all the undercard matches are just the, the one of the two young lions against somebody. So this one, usually in like a pair. So one young lion faces a guy, and the next like the, the next There are the other tag matches goes. coming up, though. I, I yeah, towards the, yeah, towards the end of the tour, yeah. Uh, so this one was Ryuhi Oiwa losing to Show and 608 with the snake bite. Um, I should mention too, this this show's attendance, by the way, was 1963. Uh, night really? two beat it. Yeah, night two I, beat it by a little bit. It felt like there was more, or at least visually looked like there was more. Uh, night two was 2188. I was gonna say, I think this did this must be pretty close to capacity because like the uh those MetLife Dome shows where the max is like 5,000, they were doing like pretty, yeah, 2780 and 2095. So I imagine these were pretty close to capacity. I don't know what exact, I, I think 50% of, yeah, I would assume it was like 5,000. So maybe capacity is like 2,500 or something. So not bad, I guess, for, uh, you know, Osaka has been hit plenty hard by COVID too. Um, so anyway, so the opener here was Show beating Oiwa in 608 with the snake bite, his new submission hold. Uh, Show's opening video is now full of like pixelated footage, uh, pixelated on purpose, obviously, look like it's a video game of him joining the House of Torture. I thought this looks less cool than his original evil gamer entrance video uh, from his match against Yo at MetLife. I don't know. I just thought like somehow this looked way less cool than the, the video he had last time. Well, it's anything House of Torture is automatically less cool. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we also have a new referee, Taito Okabayashi. Uh, I guess we will not know what this man's face looks like until uh, whenever COVID is under, considered under control enough for referees not to wear masks. I shouldn't say it. They probably have his fucking face somewhere. But <laughs> I just thought of that. I was like, wow. We'll never see his face in the ring for quite a while, probably. But, uh and then Kevin Kelly also had like technical issues on the English commentary. Because I, I wanted to give the English commentary a chance. I haven't been listening to it in a long time because um, most of the time it's recorded remotely, right? So yes, overdub it. Uh, when they, they, there's like a something missing basically when you listen to the English commentary that's overdubbed, 
you can really tell it's overdubbed and the sound mix does not sound as good, uh, you know, as listening to the Japanese where they're there. Well, now Kevin Kelly's in America, in Japan, I should say. And, you know, he and Chris Carlton are in the building doing the, doing the commentary. So, you know, it sounds much more natural again, that the audio mix, you know, sounds more natural. So I wanted to give them a shot. Um, you know, they were good. I mean, Kevin Kelly, I think it's almost always good, but, uh, they they had like technical issues right off the bat, which I remember watching like, oh, that's a bad omen for the show. And uh, maybe you're introducing, you have like skeptical English speaking fans coming back to the G1. And the first time they get is all these technical issues. But it turned out to be, I mean, the show turned out to be pretty great anyway. So uh, not not much of a problem. You could uh, hear um, K- Kelly and Chris on the Japanese feed. Like, oh yeah, really? Echoing, yeah. You could hear, you could hear the Japanese feed too sometimes on the English feed, so... Uh, Oiwa showed like a really nice drop kick at one point. He just nailed show right in the face before the five minute call. Uh, but show came back and tapped him out. Not too long after that. Uh, I thought it was standard young lion stuff here. Plus show got to show off, uh, no pun intended there. Some <laughs> of his new heel aggression. And that made a little watchable, you know, what was lasted. I went like two and three quarters. It was all right. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah you're spot on. It's just a standard young lion squash with a, a a guy that's about to be pushed or is in the middle of being pushed. Uh, I didn't really star rate it, but it's like, I, again, the, the young lion system is probably the best training system in the world, right? Like how many matches has, has Oiwa had now? Uh, like hand, four, I think. Four, and he's, he's just so like, he's missing, he's missing the stuff that makes a good wrestler a wrestler. But in terms of executing, basic moves he's already so sound yeah so many of these other wrestlers nowadays that come up in other places uh definitely lack that you know that soundness and i'm not i don't even think it's a new japan thing specifically because like pretty much any japanese promotion the 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 trainees are they always have very sound fundamentals and i just assume it's the way they train them and what, what they focus on earlier in their careers whereas you know there's so many american wrestlers obviously who uh, never seem to learn how to do anything. There's a lot of American wrestlers who are uh, pretty recent who just cannot fucking throw a dropkick correctly. So. Well, it might be it might be more of a, an American thing to focus on uh, your gimmick first, whereas yeah. in, you know, and the, uh, the wrestling is secondary. Whereas you know, in Japan, the wrestling is is you got to have you know the fundamentals and then then grow into your gimmick. I've been watching like dark and dark elevation a little bit lately. Like uh, uh, the joke was just to be, I'd never watched these shows, but I've been curious about like, you know what they're like. And so many of the wrestlers they bring in uh, as squash victims, who I assume are very young, very early in their careers in both genders, uh, you know, male and female, they cannot run the fucking ropes. It just amazes me watching them. It's like, how did you not learn how to like, if you, you think, wouldn't that be like day one shit? You never see anyone in Japan who gets uh, through a young line system who can't run the ropes. It just doesn't happen. Right. And there are basic, so many. It's a basic back. Um, uh, uh, what the fuck? I've just lost the word. But, you know, falling on your back and then running the ropes. Yeah. Like taking a bump and running the ropes. Yeah, is bump. The big what the thing. hell? How did yeah, I forget yeah. that word? <laughs> but it's like there's so many American wrestlers, young American wrestlers. I mean, they, they all know how to bump usually. That's fine. But they, there's so many of them who can't run the ropes. And there are, there's a couple who, like, uh, AEW pushes. Like, there was, a, like, a big one who, you know, people are going to be mad at me for hating on. But 
you know, and so some of the stuff she does with like judo and stuff is cool. But Ty Conti, she cannot run the fucking ropes. Like she will take, you know, like six or seven steps sometimes when she should obviously be taking three. And it's just like really, really jarring to watch one of her matches and watch her just like struggle to run the ropes. I'm just like, you're not like, how has nobody pulled her? Like you have Dustin Rhodes back there and he can't pull this woman aside and say, Hey, uh, you can't run the ropes. I mean, man, maybe, maybe the good and positivity now, man. He can't, he can't put that on the locker room. <laughs> just, He's the natural. He, just he, be gentle, be gentle about it, but just pull her aside and be like, I'm going to teach you how to run the ropes. Just like when Naito pulled, uh, Hiromu's side when he was really struggling was like, I'm just going to teach you how to wrestle. <laughs> I've heard you, I don't know if it's a story. But yeah, he just pulled him aside one day and said, if you don't mind, I'd like to teach you how to wrestle now. What year was that? Uh, I think it was like when he, right after he debuted. So I think like 09. Oh, right. So like pre all of this. Pre, yeah. pre, pre LIJ, pre. Yeah, he was. Yeah, okay. He, he was a Naito, uh, you know, a Naito disciple, I guess you would say. Uh, a Naito student, like from day one, basically. So, uh, that's pretty much just how he, you know, Naito just kind of pulled him over at a young age. But, but yeah, I don't know. Like the, uh, it makes me wonder, like how many wrestlers we don't hear those kind of stories for, you know? Because obviously they told us that story because they put them in the same unit anyway and all that. But I wonder how many wrestlers there are like out there that like, you know, were like Tanahashi disciples or something that we never heard about, but. But yeah, the point is though, like Dustin Rhodes should do that for Ty Conti or is anybody back there. Uh, I don't know, like w- w- you know, Ruby Soho's there now. She know how she knows how to run the ropes. Just pull her aside and be like, "Hey, I'm going to teach you how to run the ropes now." But I don't know. There's just something something about it. So yeah, to, to, to your point, young young uh, the young line system is the best way to learn pro wrestling because there's uh, you know so many comparable. I'm not trying to pick on AEW. WWE has a lot of. Uh, you know, shitty young wrestlers too. So, well, the thing I just the never seen is John that you don't. A sane person doesn't watch anything in, to do with WWE, so you wouldn't know if no one can. <laughs> I, wa- I, wa- I actually, I actually have watched SmackDown a bunch of weeks since it came back. Now that's for but... sickos and freaks. And <laughs> but I never watch NXT. I did not watch NXT 2.0 or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and we did SummerSlam on this show too, which was something. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get to the next match, which is A Block Yujo Takahashi defeating Kota Ibushi in eleven thirty one with the big juice. Did not realize that was his new finisher's name. I was stunned when I heard juice. that. Oh, when I when I when I, when I think Joel from um, Super Jcast tweeted the scre- the screenshot of the result, I was I was like, big juice. Oh, this is going to be a good, this is going to be a fun three weeks. Huge, huge with the big juice. <laughs> it's like, it's okay. good. It's, uh, you want baby? Yujo beats Ibushi at 11.31 with the big juice. Uh, match started off pretty dull. So Yujo was choking Ibushi with his pimp stick at ringside. All that kind of nonsense. He was beating Kota down through the five-minute call. Yujo uh, ends up hitting a low blow on Ibushi after he avoided the Kamigoe. He hits the pimp juice. Kota kicks out. Yujo then hits a second implant DDT, which is, the, I guess, the big juice. And that gets the pin. First of all, this crowd completely forgot they were a COVID crowd, as they would throughout the two nights. But they forgot it for sure here because it got a huge reaction 
just a huge surprise audible reaction from the crowd. Um, but yeah, I was so I, okay. I got this is the only match of the two shows uh, that I got spoiled on before I watched it because I was catching up with all this stuff again because I just got back from vacation. Um, I so I knew that Yujiro won. I saw I saw that because I guess somebody had to tweet it because it was like what the fuck. But I had no idea how. So in my brain, I was thinking, okay, so obviously Evil came out or something. Lots of House of Torture shenanigans. Show came out. Something like that. Yujiro just kind of beat him. He hit a low blow, sure. But they just hit two straight DDTs. And he fucking beats him. First of all, I was like, maybe this bodes well for his matches in the G1 not having a lot of interference. Because uh, if, he's, if he he's not going to use interference to beat Kota Ibushi... Uh, then I guess who are you going to use the beat, right? Um, Abushi losing this, of course, doesn't mean anything. Uh, he lost his first matches in the last two years, too. And, of course, he won both tournaments. Uh, it could just be setting up a run later where he beats people like Naito and Shingo and wins the block on tiebreakers. But uh, we'll have to see. But, yeah, the match itself, I thought it was just, like, barely above average. I went two and three quarters here. But the finish was so stunning, I was just like, Wow. <laughs> just low blow, two to eat easy wins. Okay. Yeah, I was probably about the same as you, except I went I went the three just because of the, the audible reaction of the crowd. Um I, I, I do think like if if you drove low blowed him uh, and they wrestled for a couple more minutes afterwards, I'd say that's that's pretty clean. But the low blow directly did leave to the finish. So I don't think it's as maybe as, as clean as what you or or what our uh, our overlord Joe Lanza said on his instant reactions, um, but I think it does. It also does a good job of establishing Ujiro as a guy that can maybe beat your Naitos or your your, your uh, Shingos in this tournament that can call, cause a spoil. But other other than that, it was a it was just a, a fine eleven minute match, I suppose. Uh, the the all-time record, by the way, Yujiro Takahashi, he already has an all-time winning record against Tetsuya Naito. I think most people know that. He now also has an all-time winning record against Kota Ibushi. Um, they were John, one of... th- that reminds me, have you have you seen the... You probably haven't, but did you see the like little interviews they did with the, the G1 guys? No. So they, 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 they interview like all of them uh, and ask... It was just like questions like, who are you looking forward to facing? And when they got to Naito, he's like, he's like Shingo, Abushi, you know, 82 club sort of thing. Um, Yujiro Takahashi, you're probably wondering if I'm excited to face him. The answer is no. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's good for him. He can be in the ring with Tetsuya Naito. <laughs> That's like, awesome. Very good stuff. Uh, but yes, the so Yujiro now has a winning record against Kota Ibushi because they were, they were tied at one and one. Uh, going into this one, I have I have all the records. Like, let me just open that doc. Cause I, get, I can't remember what the matches were. I went through this all on the the preview episode, but let's see, I know Yujiro U- inexplicably has a win over Coda. So uh, last year, okay, so Coda Yujiro beat him in the 2013 G1, uh, August eighth, 2013, and then Coda beat him last year in the G1. Uh, in 2020. So that was their one and one and now it is uh, one zero or two one Yujiro. So. Looking forward to the uh, the uh, Yujiro briefcase uh, challenge there you go. at uh, Power there Struggle. You go. Uh, match number three on this show, also of course in the A block, uh, the Great Okan defeated Tonga Loa 
1745 with the Eliminator. Now, this was the match I was talking about that I figured we were probably going to disagree with on here if you didn't like anything on the undercard. I thought this was quite good. Um, okay. Uh, Jado, looking very jacked, came out with a camo with Tongaloa. Uh, Tongaloa was wearing a Control Your Narrative shirt. Uh, isn't that like EC3's whole thing in Ring of Honor? Mm-hmm. I hope they're not. Please keep him as far away from New Japan as possible. Uh, the match started with a long lockup, went to a stalemate when they backed up in the ropes. Uh, Okan was hitting some shoulder blocks on Tongaloa, but he came back with a nice, uh, explosive, short-range sh- short range spear. Wow, try to say that three times fast with uh, my particular speech impediment. Uh, but he hit that big spear to cut him off. It looked, a, looked like a very cool uh, spear. It just got very good, uh, you know, just really came through on it. And this was a very entertaining power battle. They just rammed each other repeatedly like two big bulls. And they kind of went back and forth at the end, including Jado very briefly getting involved before Okan finally put Tonga away with the Eliminator for the pin. And this is one where, like, I guess you and everybody else did not like it that much because Grapple only had a 2.77 uh, as I was, you know, doing my rating, lower than they had Ibushi Yujiro at because they had that at three. Uh, but I thought this was a super fun power battle. I thought it was a good sign for both guys' tournaments. I thought they worked surprisingly well together. Uh, I went three and a half stars in this. I thought it was good. I mean, I, I could, like I don't think three and a half's out of like I don't think you're being ridiculous with that one. Um, I was higher than Grapple. I went I went the gentleman's three again. Um, I wasn't a huge fa- like what what sort of turned me off actually was when. Uh, Tungaloa started to do his community theatre, um, probably in the, about in the middle. You know, that wasn't that wasn't good. You know, there's other places I can watch that. You know, mid mid match promos can fuck off. Um, but I I do think Okan is is very interesting to, to just to watch, just the way he moves, his move set, the way he looks. I, I like I'm I'm really like he might not ever be a big big star. But he is—he definitely is going to be a, a big-ish name for a long time, I think, just because he's so different. Um, and I, I am—I do think he's going to have better matches in this tournament. I think that's—I think Tangelo is probably going to have better matches in this tournament. But I think this was just a good, solid uh, second G1 match on night one. Yeah, I, I thought it was good. Uh, apparently I liked it more than everybody else, but I thought it was good, good match. And I'm, I'm usually the high person on Ocon and I like Tongaloa too. So not really surprised. I enjoyed this, uh, a match I did not enjoy on the other hand. Oh, was can we just, match number, just, can we just get rid match of number four? Toriano defeats Kenta in eleven oh seven with quote, the whole roasted Kenta. Okay. Uh, I guess that's some kind of pun, but look, I, I, this was horrible. This was, uh, I am not the type of person who comes on here and says all Toriano matches are war crime, and I, you know, blah 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 blah. But this was this one was fucking awful. Uh, the only good thing about it was Kenta's big long entrance. I was just about uh, to say that the the, the the match highlights started and ended there. Yeah, the big long and ent- the big long introduction of the ring announcer to parody Yano's. One of them was that he likes Yoshihashi. That was funny. <laughs> uh, but yes, the match starts with a very long stall session. Uh, both guys refuse to stay in the ring with each other. Yano eventually just starts walking out, and Kent is thrilled, obviously, demands the ref start counting. Uh, they fight to the top of the ramp eventually. 
Kenta tries to tape Yano the staging the same way he beat him last year. He eventually does do this, but Yano gets himself free this time and beats the count. Uh, Kenta tosses Yano under the ring after taping his hands together to try to get him counted out again. Then, uh, but Yano gets back and low blows Kenta with his hands still taped. He rolls Kenta up. Kenta kicks out. The crowd didn't react big to that. Like, oh, they couldn't believe he kicked out of the, uh, the deadly low blow roll up. But then Yano hits a second punk kick, low, bro, low blow, and very awkwardly rolls him up into another cradle for the pen. Uh, I thought this was excruciating. It was not funny at all. It was way too long for a match built entirely around rolling in and out of the ring and taping each other. Uh, you know, this was like one of those matches where, like, I see the time 11.07. It felt like 11 hours. I mean, it really did. Like, that fucking Chase and Yano match from MetLife may have felt shorter than this. I mean, this felt excruciating. Uh, I gave it half a star. Uh, hopefully, this ends up being one of the worst Yano matches of the tournament. If it doesn't, we're all in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I, I, I went too, and only because I thought... And, and isn't this just such a fucking indictment on Yano that his opponent is the funnier person in the match? Like, Kenta was, Kenta is so much, like, his entrance and then just him trying to out Yano Yano is funnier than any of Yano's antics. So that's why I gave a two only, for solely because Kenta is, is funny now. Yeah, I just, I I don't want to talk about this match anymore. It's stunning. <laughs> so, and you know what? I looked, I looked up. In, during the match, I, I had to look up how many more post-intermission matches Yano gets. He gets four more. Jeez. Wow. Like, you can cop Yano if it's the opener, right? Because that's... Yeah. But when it's the, the third last match on the show, fuck off. Seriously. Do you have... Like, Naito can be in an opener. Shingo can be in an opener. You don't have to... Like, just get Yano... I'm just sorry. This is yeah, especially in the where the crowds can't even laugh, you know. Yeah. Sometimes their enjoyment can shine through, you know. But this when when a light applause is the uh, is what you get after the big punchline. Then uh, I'm not. It's just it can. Naito versus Zack Saber Jr. Yeah. So the semifinal of the evening was Zack Saber Jr. defeating Tetsuya Naito. In 2705, with I guess a new hold, the yes, I am a long way from home. Uh, I thought it was the orienteering from Napon Death. I thought that not. wasn't that the isn't it the same hold. I don't know. Maybe it is. It looked exactly <laughs> the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's if it is the same, then it's got a new name now. Uh, so okay, so this match it starts out with the typical Zach versus Naito mat wrestling stuff. I did not think it was like their most exciting work in that genre. Uh, I thought, especially comparing it directly to last year's uh, G1 match, the, the Matt Wrestling in that one, I thought that was way more fun than Matt Wrestling here. I just thought they, they did more interesting stuff than they did here. Um, we got like this long stranglehold sequence that Naito finally breaks just before the 10-minute call, and then everything really picks up from there. There's uh, some really good action from the 10- to 15-minute mark, a great dragon suplex at one point. Uh, Naito... Hit some really hard elbows to Zach in the corner, which Zach sells like absolute death. And then Naito hits him with the Esperenza out of there. Uh, but as Naito's getting ready to charge out of the corner, Zach hits this amazingly well timed 
uh, counter basement dropkick, which Naito just goes Naito just goes fucking flying for it. Uh, just really takes a great bump, and then Zach immediately locks him locks on a leg lock. Naito makes the ropes, but Zach makes him pay by repeatedly driving his knee to the mat, and then Naito like gets this brilliant counter of a knee breaker from Zach by just reversing the momentum in midair and just spiking him on his head with a DET. Uh, that was just after the 20-minute call. Uh, if anything, I promise that that looked way cooler than I maybe made it sound there. I mean, it just looked really, really cool the way they pulled it off. So it helps that Zach sells DDTs maybe better than anyone. Yeah. Like he's like his neck is breaking every time. And you, get, you can buy it, too, because his neck is like a stack of dimes. <laughs> uh, Zach ends up hitting a sunset flip powerbomb off the top for a two count. Uh but just when it looks like he has this match well under well under control, Naito suddenly hits a Destino out of nowhere. Uh, it was a very unique Destino setup. Like basically, it was sort of between a running and a counter Destino. Like he ducked Zach coming in and then just sort of hit it from a standing position. Like no wind up, but uh, not the traditional running version either because it was a very short run. So it looked very cool, but he couldn't cover him. Uh, Zach hit a spinning DET off the middle turnbuckle then held on to him and lifted him back up for the Zack driver, but Naito countered the last second hit Valencia. That looks so awesome. He then went for the wind-up Destino, but Zack counters in the European clutch for a very close 2.9999 count, and again, drawing gas out of the crowd. And we get the 25-minute call. They're trading strikes. Zack goes after Naito's leg again. He sweep kicks Naito and then hits a very unique double stomp to the leg that looked brutal. And Naito sold it like his leg was broken. Uh, Zach went for the Zach driver again, but Naito hit a sloppy counter Destino in midair. Not his best counter one. Looks like it just kind of fell down, but what are you going to do? And then Zach takes Naito down into the, what I thought was the orienteering and the napalm death. Maybe it was. Whatever. Uh, Naito struggles for a while, but finally has no choice but to tap. And Zach gets his first one on him in quite a while. Uh, I believe that's his first win since the 2018 G1. Let me just confirm that. Yes. Naito had beat him three three matches in a row after that. The uh, Power Struggle 2018, G1 2020, and Summer Struggle in Osaka a couple months ago. Uh, so, yeah, this was awesome. I didn't like it quite as much as their G1 match from last year that I went four and a half stars on, uh, mostly due to the, the, you know, the kind of more boring or opening 10 minutes, like I said. But everything after that absolutely fucking rocked. Pretty amazing final stretch. Maybe if they really nailed that counter Destino, I would have gone, you know, the four and a half anyway. But I went four and a quarter. Uh, yet another awesome match between these two, which they can pretty much do in their sleep at this point. So, you know, yeah, I'll watch I mean, it. I'm, not, I'm not complaining. I'll watch it every single time. These two are so great. No, this this is this is great. This is like, no, like Naito has had now the third most notebook matches this year behind Tanahashi, uh, not Tanahashi, Omega and Shingo, for me personally. Except for Naito, doesn't he? He just seems to stay at the four, like all his. And I think that's just because of, you know, he's having more mid card sort of feuds rather than those big long epic ones. But so he's had a really consistent year, just in terms yeah. of being great. Not wrestler of the year sort of stuff, but just every time he has a match worth watching, it's great. I only went four on this, so a little bit less than you, mostly because of that ten minutes. But I think and. I'm not the biggest fan of knee-based matches, regardless of how good someone is at selling them or how good someone is at doing that offense. 
But I thought this was probably one of, and Nido's great at the selling anyway, but this is this was probably one of Nido's best matches against Zach in terms of that selling. Like I, maybe that New Japan Cup 2018 match where um, he also tapped him out to the orienteering of Napalm Death to really put Zach over. And I thought this was just as good as, as selling against Zach. And it's actually made me think, maybe Zach is coming out of this block. Mm. So, because then you don't have to burn through a, a, well, assuming Okada wins the B block, but you don't have to burn through an Okada, Shingo, Okada, Naito, Okada, Abushi match, and he's a credible enough opponent to beat in a final. So it's just a little, got me thinking a little bit, probably after, you know, next two nights, uh, A block nights, will I'll look like an idiot, but... <laughs> yeah, another just yeah, just this great. This is yeah. I'm liking. I'm this feud can in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing slab packs from Arena Club. Com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? 
That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Uh, continue. Oh, not few, but they can have as many matches as they want these two. Yeah, I agree for sure. All right. So the main event was Shingo Takagi defeating Tomihiro Ishii in 27-56 with the last of Dragon. Uh, here's why I have to eat some crow. Because if you listen to my preview podcast on the Patreon, again, patreon.com slash wrestling omakase, uh, you will know that I kind of shaded this main event. I said this wasn't that big of a deal to me because, you know, as great as their first two matches were, uh, you know, the match in the 2019 G1 and then the never open weight title match uh, from Cork and Hall in February 2020, I didn't feel the same thing in that September 2020 G1 match. If anything, I felt like they had become pretty repetitive in that match, and it was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm really that excited to see these two again. Uh, well, they made me look stupid because they had an absolutely incredible match uh, here. You know, just absolutely delivered here. Uh, I think this is probably their best match to date. I think it's probably even better than the 2019 G1 match. Um, you know, I'll, I'll go through it here, obviously. But th- these two, you know, they had it. They took it another level here. Uh, totally made up for the G1 match from last year. They just didn't think it was anything special. So they started out running into each other. Elbowing each other in their faces right from the opening bell. No surprise there. Uh, at one point, they just start doing these repeated backdrop suplexes, just dropping each other right on their heads before Shingo pops up and just fucking kills Ishii with a sliding lariat to finally like win that exchange. Just really crazy sequence. And then these two just keep taking each other's heads off with lariats, like really some of the hardest lariats I've ever see. Uh, they start headbutting each other at one point. That I can always live without in a post-Shibata world. Uh, I can always have to say that. But Shingo finally gets the Made in Japan out of nowhere, but Ishii kicks out just before the 20-minute call. And the crowd, as this match builds, just forgets more and more that they're a COVID crowd. They are loudly gasping as Shingo gets dropped on his head with a German suplex, only to pop right up and nearly take Ishii's head off with another super hard lariat for a two-count. Uh, Ishii, he counters the last of the dragon from Shingo at one point with a crucifix bomb. Uh, you know, Ishii, I, I'm not trying to fade him or anything, but like, he does not exactly come up with a lot of new moves, you know? I mean, he's just, you know, he, he kind of has a formula that works for him and he never really, you know, uh, strays from it much. So to see him do a, this very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like this very, uh, God, this very specific counter, right? Uh, this very contextual counter that you, you know, really it worked here because it was a counter for the last of the dragon. It's not the kind of thing he usually does. He doesn't usually adapt his style a lot to the other guy. So it was a, it was a very cool and natural counter. Uh, Ishii and Shingo, 
they ended up colliding so hard on a layered exchange that it sounded like two shotgun blasts went off. And then Shingo fell into Red Shoes, which bumped him. And I, at first I was like, why are they doing a ref bump in this match? I think it was actually inadvertent, though, because Red Shoes did not even stay down for very long. I think it was he was kind of like, well, Shingo knocked into me. I had to at least, you know, sell it. And then he got right up, though, and then pretended to, you know, was ready to count when Ishii hit a power bomb right after that. Uh, Shingo drops Ishii on his fucking head with a pumping bomber. I mean, like, he hits his pumping bomber, and Ishii comes straight down on his head, gets a huge reaction from the crowd. Ishii kicks out again. We get the three minutes remaining call while they're both on the mat. Ishii hits the throat chops. Shingo hits the punch. They both hit some more brutal headbutts on each other. And the last one finally stuns Ishii enough to let Shingo hit last the dragon for the win. So incredible match. I had my doubts after the duo match last year. Uh, but they came back this time with their best match yet. And the Osaka crowd helped a lot, you know, reacting even when they're not supposed to here. I went four and three quarters. Uh, it is my number two match of the year right now. Only behind Naito versus Ibushi from New Beginning. So G1 off to a great start with this one. This was an incredible match. Yeah, I think it's going to take a lot of beating to um, to tip this for a match of the tournament. Um, I, I went four and a half on it. And I, I was similar to you. I, I, I'm maybe not as harsh on, on this upcoming one as maybe you, you, you might have been. But I definitely thought they were starting to have maybe some diminishing returns with each other. I definitely think they did last year, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. And like it was still a great match. But I think what makes... Things like Okada Tanahashi or Okada Omega or Naito Omega so great is that they always build on their matches. Whereas I think Shingo and Ishii weren't; they were just having meat slappers every time without really adding a new wrinkle. But this time, I felt like they sort of did add some more wrinkles, just with sort of the intensity that headbutt spot at the very end. Um, that was that was like stand and pace sort of stuff, and I loved how sh- there was no. You know how there's usually like a, a made in Japan pumping bum uh, pumping bomber, then last of the dragon, like that sort of, that's the sort of sequence with, with Shingo's finish. This time it was just headbutt, 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 stun up, last of the dragon. Like I love I love that sort of part of it. It was yeah, very. It's going to take a lot of beating I think to 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 beat this match of the match of the tournament. Uh, so there you go. So. The standings in the A block after night one, very simple, obviously. Sixth way tie for first, Shingo Takagi, ZSJ, Toriano, Great Okan, Yujiro. Uh, they all are 1-0 for two points. And a six, or sorry, it's a five-way tie for first, not a six-way. Show uh, can get some f- points too, maybe. What'd you say? Show can get some points. Oh, they, they, they get a six-way tie. Uh, a five-way tie for last, Tomiro Ishii, Tetsuya Naito, Kenta, Tangalo, and Kota Ibushi. All 0 and 1 for 0 points. The next night of the G1 for the A block, which we might as well preview now before he gets to night 2, is night 3 on Thursday, September 23rd from the Oda Ward Gym. So no non-tournament match since it's in Tokyo. Uh, You have both 1-0, Toriano and the Great Okan, uh, one-on-one in the opener. Uh, I would assume Okan wins that, but I guess who the fuck knows. Well, didn't Yano beat Okan in the New Japan Cup, which really pissed me off? He beat him, yeah, in the New Japan Cup. Yeah, yeah he's one, got a he's weird one back. He's one to know. Then we have match number two, a first time ever singles match. Kenta at zero points against Yujiro Takahashi at two points. 
I would assume Kenta wins that. A bullet club war. <laughs> so one one guy's gonna tell the other one, "You lay down for me, sir," and the other guy's gonna be like, "Okay, I'll lay down for you," and then he's gonna roll him yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta do all that. Uh, match number three, another first ever singles match. This is one I'm excited for that like no one else on earth might be excited for, but I'm into it. Uh, and they're both zero one here, so I assume Naito will get his first win. Uh, Tetsuya Naito versus Tonga Loa. Uh, I just think Loa tossing Naito around and Naito selling for him could be a really entertaining match. So I'm yeah, into it. I, I I liked it. I like not that they're the same person, of course, but I like Naito versus Tama Tonga from a couple of years ago, um, and I think this probably has a chance to be better. Uh, the semi-main event. These two always have amazing matches with each other. Uh, Kota Ibushi and Tomohiro Ishii, both 0-1 at this point. I would expect Ibushi to win, but who knows? Um, Ishii, you no, see it, Ibushi starts 0-2? No, I, th- oh. no, I think Ibushi probably wins this. Uh, it, I mean, it should be incredible, though, either way. I mean, yeah. always, they always have incredible No, matches. I think there's going to be an upset in the main event, though. Oh, okay, there you go. So the main event, Shingo Takagi versus Zack Sabre Jr., they're both 1-0. Uh, you think Zach's winning, huh? I, well, uh, only if Zach, like, if my if my theory is correct. Like, I think this is one of the matches Shingo drops. And their all-time record is actually 1-0 Shingo, but it, it was a match that went 9 minutes and 27 seconds in WXW in 2009. So, uh, mm, it may as well be. Ever... What? I'm sorry? Can't say I've seen that one. Yeah, it was the semifinals of the 16-carat gold tournament in 2009. I'd never seen it either, so... Uh, I think for most people, it'll be their first time seeing these two wrestle, but they have had a match before. So there you go. That's night three in the A block on Thursday, September 23rd. Uh, night two of the G1, the B blocks night, was from today, uh, Sunday, September 19th, also in the Ideon Arena, Osaka. Uh, the opener, your non-tournament match, was show defeating Kosei Fujita and 809 via referee stoppage with the, uh, whatever, the snake bite. I thought this was like quite a bit more boring than the opener from the previous night, maybe because they went longer or whatever, even by like two minutes. But it was a lot of choking from show, which was fairly boring. Uh, Fujita did get to show off some nice fire as he finally got some offense, but didn't last very long. And then show had a couple of decent looking deadlift Germans and then put him in the new snake bite. And that was it. Uh, I just, yeah, I don't know. Show's heat period here was just so boring. Uh, I only went two and a quarter. I thought it was a below average match. Yeah, I wasn't loving Show's offense in this. And I thought, was it just me or did Fujita get more than Oiwa as well? He kind of did, yeah. Yeah, I like, I don't know. But yeah, Show, I mean, the whole thing was showing one of the reasons why I hate him joining is because, or joining the House of Torture slash Bullet Club, is because pre, you know, before this, he had like, this kind of almost like shoot style offense where he would do a lot of like, you know, grappling and stuff. And now it seems like we're totally going to move away from that. He's just going to be choking people. And it's just not, you know, we have enough fucking, you know, uh, boring heels in this company. You know, we don't need to make show into one too. So. Yeah. Have uh, you noticed that there's a big emphasis on the uh, house of torture t-shirts going on, like with the actual guys <laughs> in it? I guess they're trying to sell some t-shirts. Well, I've also got a bit of a headcanon theory as well that, you know how Naito and Bushi always wear their t-shirts? Sure. I'm thinking in my headcanon that Evil is making House of Torture 
how he wanted LIJ to turn out. Mm. There you go. Uh, match number two, the first B-block match of the tournament. Evil defeats Yoshihashi in 17-15 with the Evil. Uh, it was a pretty typical, you know, what, you, what you'd imagine from these two here. Evil beat him down uh, with plenty of help from Dick Togo. Yoshihashi did his usual fiery comebacks and his hope spots. Uh, simple but effective. And Red Shoes, at one point, he slapped Evil in the face when he had a hold of Evil had a hold of him and tried like a block a German suplex or something. And that set Yoshihashi uh, damn near pinning him just before the 15 minute call. And Yoshi does get a visual pin on Evil while Togo's distracting the ref, but that leads to a low blow from Evil, followed by the STO for the pen. Uh, I thought this was pretty fun for what it was. I went three and a half stars on it. These two have good chemistry together. Uh, their match from last year's G1 was quite good as well. So, you know, it really works out. You know, the big underdog against the evil, evil man. Yeah, I went, I went three and a half too. I, I, I can deal with the, the leg sweeping under the rope and, and some of the interference, but my, my issue with Dick Togo is that it's... Like Yoshihashi, you know, he he sort of he fights hard to get back on top, and then Dick Togo is the one that puts the fire out, right? And then mm-hmm. Yoshihashi fights back up to get, you know, and then it's again, and it's then it's again. Like it's 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 either maybe just do the little leg sweeps that distract the ref sort of stuff, and then to get the advantage, and then Yoshihashi fights back, and then Dick Togo does the big interference to lead to the finish. Like it's just it's it's a constant like build up interference build up interference like it's just it's a little too much for my liking but i also thought this was the best the butterfly lock has ever looked funnily enough uh it it, maybe because evil sold it pretty well but you know but the butterfly lock is a pretty dull shit um submission finisher and i thought this one it was like is he gonna win with it i was not convinced but i thought there was a good chance but yeah, three three and a half, and I I don't need three lots of Dick Togo interference, big interference spots. It's it's a little too much. There you go. Uh, the next match, match number th- number three, was Jeff Cobb defeating Chase Owens in twelve eleven with the tour of the islands. Uh, the match started out really fast here. Chase kicked Cobb to the floor and tried to follow him out there. Only to get sent absolutely flying with a gigantic overhead belly to belly, and that landing just looked really nasty for Chase Owens. Uh, I, th- I think you know this match was surprisingly good. I mean, these two worked really well together. Chase worked well as the underdog, which of course is not a role he typically plays in New Japan because he's always the heel in the match. But here he just really you know being the underdog here against the bigger heel Jeff Cobb, and Cobb of course eventually hit toward the islands to put him away. Uh, I went three and a half on this as well. And, you know, I thought Chase did a good job here. Just like trying to hang with Cobb, but getting beaten in the end, as you would expect. John, we're on the same wavelength for this one. I'm also three and a half. Um, I, I, Chase is a guy that I always thought he was sort of overrated because he would have good three minute closing stretches and get pinned. But I thought, he everything else he does is sort of just you know average like you know solid but nothing special and i thought he showed some pretty good fire here against cobb i do kind of wish though cobb just beat him in four minutes though like i think cobb 
establishing like yeah, he's already beaten Okada, sure. But like just establishing Cobb as this sort of monster that can just devour people in this tournament, especially if Okada's going to beat him at the end um, to get to get through. I, I just I, I wouldn't mind sacrificing one good match or a pretty good match for a to to get Cobb even more over, if you know what I mean. Mm. But it's not a not a huge gripe at all. It's just a little mm. preference of mine. Uh, the then we had Sonata and Tamatanga. So Sonata defeated Tamatanga in nineteen oh four with the O'Connor Bridge. Um, so Tama like basically they did like lots of posing. Tama showed off that he was surprisingly jacked, and he convinced Sonata to pose on the top rope right after he had done that. That was pretty funny. And then he, of course, attacks Sonata from behind. Sonata falls for that sort of stuff a lot. Have you, have you noticed? Like, I, think, yeah. I think his like, gimmick, he's like, he's, he's got more uh, more looks than brains, I think, is the idea. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, okay, he's a little too into himself, I guess. He's, he's a himbo, yeah. for sure. He is a himbo, that is for sure. Uh, then we had, so Sonata, you know, Match got, I thought, it got a little dull during Thomas Heat segment. You know, not really surprising. But I thought it did get pretty dull for a little bit. But then Sonata made a nice comeback. He hit planchos on both Tama and Jado, and Jado in rapid succession. Uh, they went back and forth with some pretty good action. And then Tama busted out a uh, double underhook pile driver. I guess it's a J driller, right? Isn't that? Yeah, no, it was. A, it, I looked exactly like the J driller. And uh, yeah, that was quite the new setup move for him. I was like, where the fuck did that come? Yeah, from? the J driller setting up a. Uh... <laughs> Uh, what okay, is this? Yeah. Ungun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't be the other uh, way around. And then they trade. Oh, after that, Sonata. So I didn't love Sonata's counter, the gunstone, and the skull end. They just kind of fell down together, it felt like, instead of doing the move. It was it's like one of those... in theory, I think. Y- yeah. Like, it's one of those counters that didn't doesn't look impressive or even like make much sense in like a if this was a real kind of way. Tama's head was on the wrong side of. Sonata's body for the to get the underhook, if you know what I mean. Like, because they fell yeah. down, and then Sonata had to reach around to put him under rather than just falling. Right. Like, I think if that was if they fell like that, it would have been a lot cooler. But yeah, a lot of people actually liked it in real time on the Slack. Yeah, I didn't think it looked very cool. So uh, then we got the after they kind of just traded finisher attempts a couple more times, and then Sonata got the pin with his O'Connor roll. I, I thought this was pretty good, but judging by the grapple rating, I definitely seem to be the low person on this one. I went like three and a quarter. Mm. Uh, some of the counters toward the end just look a little too goofy for me, and Thomas Heat segment was pretty boring. But other than that, there's plenty of fun action too, so three and a quarter. I um I really like this. Um, I'm probably higher on Sonata uh, than... Like, I like Sonata, though. Yeah, like, I mean, is, I, yeah, I like, you know, LIJ sort of connection, obviously. Yeah. But I th- these are two guys that I think are really athletic, they often sort of get lose themselves in matches a little bit, like they get lost, um, or just with their sort of match layouts. I think can, they're not the best at setting out a match for themselves. But this was surprisingly really good. Um, someone said that they have got really good chemistry together. I don't know. I can't really remember them having good matches before. I mean, some of the uh, Sonata Evil. Girls of Destiny matches were, were okay, but yeah, I can't really remember them ever having good matches. But I thought this was really good. Probably, I don't know, the best 
singles Tamatonga match I have seen in a long, long time. Um, and I, I really... The O'Connor role is such a good finisher for Sonata because it just suits his lazy-ass personality so well. But yeah, I thought, mm. I, yeah I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit higher than you. What was the grapple rating for it? It was like 3.61. Right, so, so I, I was a little... I'm a little higher than that too. So I guess we're, that is in, that's in the middle of us. Well, what, so you gave three and a quarter. Three, three, three seven, five. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely higher than I was. So yeah. you know, uh, but you know, you the 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 average is closer to you though. So you know, what do I know? Just an idiot. Again, I think it's because I was expecting <laughs> some some dirt really and got yeah. something pretty good, like something pretty fun. Uh, semi main event was Tai Chi defeating Hiroki Goto in 1830 with the Black Mephisto. This I loved. Uh, you know, it started a little bit slow. Taichi was choking Goto with a camera cable at ringside, among other things. So uh, unsurprisingly, he was in total heel mode. I, I saw some kind of funny tweets that were like, oh, why can't we get G1 Taichi all the time? Uh, this may have been the most heelish slash most like old Taichi I've seen him wrestle in like three or four months. Honestly. Yeah, a lot of, lot of people like, telling on themselves here. Like he's like a lot of people were like not basically may as well have said I haven't watched New Japan in months, so I don't really know. He's and he was Naito actually, in Summer Struggle was as G one as G one Taichi as you as you'd like, you know? Like, yeah, like this was still fought, good, but like this, you know. I still love this a lot. But the early parts of this match, he was completely. Like his old. Oh, he was he was junior Tai Chi again. Yeah, and like fine, Godo's a good foil for that. But yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of people dobbing on themselves. <laughs> it's like if you want to see Tai Chi wrestle a clean fight, uh, you got to go all the way back to like a month ago. Yeah, when he was fighting Naito. Maybe they meant and that wish they could see best of the super juniors Tai Chi everywhere. <laughs> it was just very bizarre, very bizarre takes from people who clearly were not watching. New Japan, so that's fine. And also, but... you know, I think a lot of the thing is about like those, you know, the the those European and and American fans that you were talking about that maybe are a bit down on this G one. These are the people that still they don't watch it. They don't watch it enough, uh, as much as they used to. But they they just think that Okan and Tangaloa and Taichi suck just yeah. because of reputation and probably a little bit of Grove Melsa. Um, but the Taichi one is the one that's the most egregious to me, though. It's right, like, because he's improved more than anything. And, I mean, sure, if you don't like Dangerous Techers, you probably don't give, you know, you probably don't like him as much. But I think they're one of the best, they're the, being the best tag team in New Japan in a long, long time. And a lot of it is to do with him and his newfound babyface spirit. Yeah. I don't know. Like, the the Taichi takes are the ones, and I hear, like, there are a lot of people who will tell you, like, Taichi's still not good. Like, that will come up even, like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you should call them out. Like in the voice versus flagship, they'll sometimes say act like Taichi isn't very good. I'm just like, these are like takes from 2017 or something, or 20 even earlier than that, like 2016. I'm just like, what are you guys talking about? Like he is like to put him in this okay, even if you're not as high on Taichi as me, okay, which is fine. I, I love Taichi. Everybody knows that about me. To mention him in the same breath as like Yujiro and Tamatanga and Toriano and the dregs of the tournament that, you know, you don't know what you're going to get out of some Chase Owens, I'll throw in there too. Like, not to insult these people, but like wrestlers who have not, 
had much of a, you know, either they haven't been at a high level or, you know, whatever. You want to just call it, like you say, the, the bottom of the tournament. To even mention Taichi in the same breath as them is a fucking joke. I mean, this is a guy, even if you don't love him as much as I do, you should at least be able to acknowledge by this point that he is not one of the worst wrestlers in this tournament. If you still think Taichi is one of the worst wrestlers in this tournament, I do not know what you're watching. No. That's all I can say. <laughs> he, he, I don't know what 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 promotion you're watching. If you still think Taichi is one of the worst heavyweights in this tournament, it just no, doesn't make any sense. To me. This is a guy that has breathed life into a boring as batshit tag team division, who has just won a semi main event on the opening night of his block in the G1. Who has main events coming up with guys like. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada, and those are going to be great matches. And I, he might not be your cup of tea, but you have to uh, acknowledge him. Yes, you have to acknowledge him. That's a great way to put it. And it's like, look where he is on this card. He is in the semi-main event against Hiroki Goto. I hate to break this to people. This match is not the semi-main event because of Hiroki Goto. Okay? Hey, Hiroki this is where Goto Taichi's... is in the opener against Tanahashi <laughs> night four. I mean, this is Taichi is at a higher level than any of these other people we just mentioned. I mean, he is not a low card wrestler anymore. He might be the fifth. I'm sorry that offends you. He might be the fifth biggest name in that block, only behind Tanahashi Okada, Evil, unfortunately, and Sonata. And he's probably closer on level with Sonata. Yeah, it's like he he and Sonata are probably around the same level, and then they're probably right behind Evil. And then obviously Tanahashi and Okada, the two big stars. But he's not on, I mean, he is not a, he's not like this fucking job. He's going to go five and four. Yeah. He's going to have a winning record. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be good. It's just very, it's very, it's just very insane to me that these takes are still out there. No, they're the Dave Meltzer 2016 (laughs) sort of takes, but yeah. All right. We had a little audio snafu there. So a little bit of an awkward transition here, but we were ranting about Taichi and Hiroki Goto and uh well specifically about Taichi and people's takes on Taichi being perpetually outdated so uh, I guess we made our point there we can move on to the actual match yeah <laughs> uh you know so he was choking Goto like I said at ringside and stuff it was a little bit slow there he was in total heel mode but it really picks up from there and there's this big trading of elbows from Goto and leg kicks from Taichi which leads up to them uh, trading an Axe Bomber and a Lariat, respectively. Uh, Goto finally gets the better of that. He leaves Taichi down, but then Taichi comes back with an Odawa Otoshi, which he does that move so well now. So he's just a movie started doing uh, pretty recently as like a natural uh, you know, evolution of doing the choke all the time, and it just really, really works for him. Um, there's a great counter sequence. It starts with Goto. So, so Taichi pulls the, the pants off. He goes for a super kick. Goto catches his leg, uh, lifts him straight up onto his shoulders, uh, like I think to go for the uh, Ushigoroshi probably. But Taichi drops down behind Goto, goes for the dangerous backdrop, but Goto counters that with this awesome Shotenkai out of nowhere for a near fall. That was awesome. Taichi comes back, though, with the backdrop suplex he was looking for just before the 15-minute call, and then hits a big standing enzigiri right to the face uh, as Goto staggers back to his feet. Uh, and then Taichi gets that. Uh, Chris Charlton yelled the name of this move. I can't. I didn't catch it. I forget what it, what it is. But it's that that backdrop Nodawa combo. Well, like you lift the guy up like a, in a, like a backdrop and then hit the Nodawa that Tawa used to do all the time. And it very nearly gets the pin. Goto just barely kicks out. And then Taichi he puts Goto away very decisively. It's a running form to the face. 
and then hits the black and fist over the completely clean pin. So even with the choking and heel step at the start, he is still beating guys clean here. And this was an awesome match once we got past the slow start with all the choking. Uh, I would go four stars flat here. I thought they traded lots of hard striking, lots of impact moves to have like a little classic G1 battle. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I was a little lower than you just because of the sort of boring choking at the start. You know, the stuff that, uh, you know, people wish they they Kaichi would bring to the table uh, every <laughs> every match. But yeah, I, I went 3 and, 3.75, and I think this is probably the fourth best match of the weekend. Um, yeah, I think it was. I'm, yeah, I'm going to settle with that. It was, definitely. And again, Taichi gets a win over... Oh, that's exactly where I have it too, by the way, fourth, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, so we're not that far apart with that one. Yeah. But yeah, there's not... That, um... Yeah, it was as clean as a sheet, essentially. Like, after that ten, that first, what was it, like, ten minutes or five minutes? Um, yeah. it, they, he completely went back to um, Dangerous Techers mode, which is, you know, funny, I guess, but... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a very, very good professional wrestling match. And he got the, the, the sumo bowing and all that at the end. That was just I, I love I, that I little love part of his gimmick now. That doing that forearm, <laughs> that sumo. Because I just started yeah. watching a show called Hinamori. Oh, I forgot that, that. I forgot that was the sumo. That was the illegal sumo forearm. Yeah, that's, yeah. Not, that's why he does that now. Yeah, I just started watching uh, Hinamaru Sumo, uh, which is an anime. And um, well, I finished it now. But it's um, just seems like. Seeing some of those, like he, you know, he dropping down and putting the fist on the on the mat, then rushing for the forearm. It's just, I just love it. I love it, love it, love it. Uh, the main event. Speaking of things we loved, was Kazuchika Okada defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi in twenty nine thirty six with the Rainmaker. I was so glad I went in this unspoiled because these guys they've had, I think what either three, I think yeah, three uh, G one draws before. So, you know, clearly uh, it, it was very possible I had another one here, but it did not go the draw. Okada got the win. Uh, the first five minutes, the typical Okada-Tanahashi early portion of a match, they did some basic mat wrestling, some, some shoulder blocks. They posed at each other. Uh, Tanahashi had a really tight headlock on Okada right as we got the five-minute call, and we stayed in that headlock for a bit after. Okada eventually reversed his own headlock, this was this is where it started to drag for me quite a bit. Like Okada had his own headlock, he switched to a chin lock, which is even more boring. Uh, and that really went on forever. And I did like Okada showing some cockiness, doing his old school one foot pose on Tanahashi, really uh, recalling uh, old times there. But unfortunately, he went right back to the chin lock after that. But you know, things picked up from there. Tanahashi came back with his usual offense. He, he hits the second rope flip senton. It's his first dragon screw of the match. He tried to lock in the Texas Cloverleaf, but Okada made it to the ropes immediately before Tana could flip him over. Uh, Okada came back and dropkicked Tanahashi off the top rope to the floor. He tried to hit the running boot to Tanahashi's face on the outside, but Tana caught the boot, dragon screws him again in a nice spot. He goes up top like he's going to hit the high fly flow cross by the floor, but he gets cut off by Okada, who teaches he's going to tombstone him off the apron. Uh, but Tanahashi escapes that. It's another dragon screw to send him all the way to the floor. And then finally hits the high fly flow crossbody. Uh, very cool sequence. And that was the first thing in the match that felt like the two of them not just playing the hits. Like, I was a little bit worried that up to that point that, uh, you know, it was going to be another G1 Dallas match with them just playing the hits. 
but they did finally like deviate from you know their own little uh interesting thing there uh back in the ring tanahashi hit another crossbody off the top but okada rolled straight through it into locking in the money club that may have been the coolest entry into a money club he ever did because everybody knows i hate that move i think a lot of people hate that move but it was like the smoothest and coolest he's ever gotten that that stupid hole locked in i think uh tanahashi almost escapes but okada hits the neck breaker locks it back in but then tanahashi finally makes the ropes and thankfully that was it for the money clip in this match uh okada and tanahashi battle over a tombstone before okada finally spikes him on his head with the spinning tombstone he uh he goes for the rainmaker but tanahashi ducks it but then okada very nearly gets the pin with his uh big cradle slash pen that was a great near fall and he immediately hits the shotgun drop kick as soon as Tanahashi gets back up right before the 25-minute call. Uh, Tanahashi ducks another Rainmaker attempt, and then someone finally counters that stupid, like, spinning lariat that Okada does, the spinning short-arm lariat where he's the one who spins. I always think it looks so stupid. It just always looks like the other guy has plenty of time to counter it, and Tanahashi does counter here with a nice sling blade. He then hits a second sling blade. He goes for the high-fly throw to the front, but, uh, of course, Okada gets his knees up because Tanahashi didn't hit the one in the back of the crossbody first. Uh, we get the three minutes remaining call. Okada picks Tanahashi back up. It's a big short on Lariat, followed by a second one. He tries another Rainmaker, but Tanahashi ducks, gets the inside cradle near fall. Then he drops Okada on his head with a huge release German suplex. He follows up with a dragon suplex hold right after the two minutes remaining call. And Okada kicks out. Now... This next moment in the match, I thought, kind of derailed the momentum of it to me. They traded elbows. I didn't love that with less than two minutes left. It felt like both of them were, up to that point, were looking for, like, they, they really did a great job building up the desperation of the match and the desperation of these two guys to find some way to put the other one away. So for them to go from that to a, a pretty standard elbow trading, I thought was a, a mistake. I thought it really broke up the flow of the match in the last two minutes for me. So that was the thing that I, I took off points for that. I mean, it didn't get to this match probably would have been four and a half for me. Uh, whereas instead of what it ended up at, if not for this elbow exchange, uh, Okada wins that exchange as we get one minute remaining. Then he hits Tanahashi with a huge drop kick. He hits this, uh, you know, this sit out Michinoku driver. Is that a good way to put it from the tombstone position? Chris Charlton calls it the landslide version of the tombstone. I guess that's a reference to Nakamura's old landslide finish. Oh, yeah, it looks like that. It's more... Yeah, you're right. It's more of a Michinoku driver. Yeah. Uh, more of a neck, Okada, neck bump rather than the head spike, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. And then Okada hits the Rainmaker and then gets the pin with only seconds remaining. So I can already tell him the low one on this match. I thought it was awesome, but I went four and a quarter. Not at the match of the year contender level. I'm seeing other people throw around. So I, I it had a feeling of Okada and Tanahashi. It did have that feeling of them playing the hits at times, but there were enough little twists that I thought it wasn't on the uh, quite on the same level as the G1 Dallas match from 2019. But the elbow exchange down the stretch really annoyed me, and it, it really just kind of hurt the match for me just as it felt like it was building well. And that early portion was, was just really boring. But I still love the match a lot. Uh, but these are my nitpicks for not going even higher. So... Still a great main event, though, to cap off a great first two nights of the G1 Climax 31. Yeah, absolutely. Remember when I said um, it's going to take some beating to beat um, Shingo and Ishii for match of the tournament? 
Yeah. Yeah, this one did for me. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, uh, yeah, I, I love this. This was definitely better than the Dallas match. I think this was definitely better than the briefcase match they had in 2018. Ooh, I can't agree with that. The briefcase match is like my oh, third favorite match of theirs overall. Oh, man. Uh, that For whatever reason, it just that briefcase, I think I was very annoyed. Not annoyed, but like I loved the fact that Okada beat him at that year's Don Taku to beat the Reigns, uh, the defense record, and I didn't like how they went back to that match so quickly. Um, no, that's, anyway, true. that's true. Yeah, tangent. Anyway, that's a tangent. But um, I actually like the elbows. I could feel the desperation in those elbows, but it's not. But they didn't have anything else to really throw at each other at that time. Like they had sort of. I felt like they had thrown their their all their bombs at each other, and they were just sort of out, and they were just trying to just inflict damage to each other at this point, and. So I that I I actually think elbows helped my enjoyment of the match, um, but yeah, it felt. But I think I might be high on it as well because it actually felt like the we are now have got the Rainmaker back. You know, like Okada at Wrestle Kingdom had to bring him out to beat Osprey, and then he sort of went back into his slump. So this, I, I hope, I think it's a great story if they are culminating this one-year um, slump of Okada with him becoming the Rainmaker. Well, I guess he's always technically been the Rainmaker in air quotes, but bringing, sort of being that persona again without the reliance on the money clip and without the reliance on that, you know, cradle thing he's been doing. Um, and I, I, I think Gran Akuma tweeted as well that a company needs a top star like Rainmaker Okada no more than New Japan does at the moment. And I think it's a great... If we're going to, if crowds are going to come back soon with a full capacity, making noise, uh, Joel has said it as well um, in the Slack that Okada as the... Rainmaker Okada as the champion is a great reset button. And I think it's the easy story. He gets his win back in Chicago, uh, from Shingo on night one of the Dome, and then he goes on to beat uh, Osprey. Well, I will say to this, I'm fine with it as long as it doesn't go on very long. Oh, and no, no, world, I don't, it doesn't need to. I mean... <laughs> the world does not need another long Okada title ring. No, no. I, not I, enough of those. No, I mean, I, I'm thinking, you know, New, like New six Japan months when it makes him, but... Yeah, yeah like, six months know. or less I'm fine with, but... But it's a good... It, over that. It's a good, I think... Yeah, okay, he's had... Because he's been so dominant for so long, you need to find sort of ways to do things with him um, that don't include him going for the title or being the champion. And you know, the, job of. The, yeah, yeah. Well, the 2018 uh, Red Okada, the Balloon Okada, was was better than the Slump Okada for sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I didn't hate Slump Okada that much, I guess, because. You know, my favorite wrestler was champion during a, a portion of that, and another one of my favorite wrestlers is champion now during a portion of it. Like, it's not taking up a big chunk of my emotional investment in the company. But if this is if if he is now back and he's going to use the Rainmaker again every match, sign me up. But yeah, this is so far this is my match of the tournament. I think only really Shingo and Naito or Shingo and Ibushi and Ibushi and Naito has a chance at, at topping it. But so far, this is my my match of the tournament. And I went uh, a high four and a half. There you go. So, the B-Box standings after night two. Okada, Taichi, Sonata, Cobb, and Evil all tied with 1-0. And, 
and then Tanahashi, Goto, Tamatanga, Chase Owens, and Yoshihashi all tied at Owen, uh, Owen 1, excuse me. So I'm going to give my top five matches of the tournament, which I will do throughout the tournament, eventually expand to a top 10. Uh, but in fifth place, so I had a lot of matches three and a half. I picked Evil vs. Yoshihashi from night two. I just enjoy, think I enjoyed that the most of the three and a half star matches. I think they have great chemistry together, like I said. Uh, in fourth place, I have Taichi and Goto at four stars, also from night two. Third place, Okada versus Tanahashi, uh, four and a quarter, also from night two. Second place, Naito versus Zack from night one, also four and a quarter. And first place, of course, Shingo versus Ishii from night one at four and three quarter stars. I think, we, yeah, we've got the same top four, but just in a, in a shuffled order. But I would have had Sonata and Tama as my fifth best match. There you go. Uh, so there's your G1 Climax coverage, folks. Again, we will be covering it throughout the next two weeks on the Patreon, so you don't have to wait uh, for the next free episode if you want to hear me talk uh, night three on Thursday, uh, exclusively on the Patreon, you, and, of course, night four on Friday, uh, night five on Sunday, night six the following Wednesday, night seven the following Thursday, night eight the following Friday. I guess you get the idea. But all that stuff is on the Patreon uh, for only $5 going forward. So it's patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Uh, I don't think anyone ever really regrets going for the five bucks. I think there's so much no. content on there. But uh, I was going to say that night six of the G1 is uh, Shingo Naito in a main event. So if you want to hear a person gush over a wrestling uh, a wrestling match, which is no doubt going to be a match of the year contender, uh, that is, uh, I would absolutely sign up for the uh, for the uh, wrestling on the Kase, uh Patreon. The G one <laughs> is uh, you know rolling on here, lots of cool stuff coming up. So obviously follow on the Patreon at patreon.com slash omakase And the other tournament, of course, we're covering on the Patreon and on this show is the Noah N one victory. Now. I originally planned to do nights two and three of the N1 here. We did night one on the Patreon already. Um, but unfortunately, I did not get to night three. Just ran out of time trying to stuff everything into one day today after my vacation. So just didn't happen. Uh, but yeah, so instead of what we're gonna instead of that, what we're gonna do is I'll release an episode tomorrow on Monday on September 20th uh, on the Patreon covering nights three and four uh, in one episode. It's only eight matches anyway, so you know, not that big a deal. But yeah, so that'll be on the Patreon tomorrow uh, when, you know, or could be on there today man, when you're listening to this, obviously. But yes, we'll cover nights three and four together and then I'll get through all the no fan shows. So yes, this is from t- uh, yesterday, Saturday, September 18th. The Noah Special Arena uh, aired on Wrestle Universe with no fans. Boy, did going to this after those two G1 nights was very difficult. Mm. Anyone who Anyone who claims... That the New Japan, you know, like the New Japan crowds with restrictions uh, are the same thing as having no fans. Should have to watch those two Osaka shows and then watch this back to back to back. Because, man, it was so tough going from fans making any kind of noise, even if it was mostly clapping. They That crowd still managed to sound like they were into everything. They broke the COVID rules more than a few times. They were stomping really loud. There was plenty of noise on that show. Going from that to nothing to no fans making noise, it was really tough. So, you know, yeah. I do think, like, that was a factor here as to why I didn't enjoy a lot of stuff. You know, well, you know, two matches were not great. Two matches I thought were, uh, there was one match I liked a lot. So, you know. I think one we match might I have the same match that we liked yeah. a lot. 
Yeah. But I think I well, you've not seen um, Night Three yet, have you, John? No, I haven't seen Night Three yet. Um, it was largely boring. Okay. <laughs> there, uh, yeah, yeah. Without spoiling anything, you can go just tell me because I haven't even looked at the results yet. No, so. it was. Um, I mean, you can imagine. I I didn't like the main event whatsoever of Night Three, and you can imagine why. But but um. Uh, the about last year, I became, I got really on Noah. Like I became a real big Noah fan, and then by February of this year, uh, Keiji Muto won the title, and I can't stand it anymore. It's it's completely gone in a one eighty of what I liked about about the company when I got into it around this time last year. Um, yeah, I mean, go, losing Go Shirazaki was such a big blow for them. I mean, yeah. you know, obviously he'll be back at some point from his injury, but like. Man, he was carrying that company. It's very clear in hindsight. I mean, I, I'm not as down on Keiji Muto as some people, but it's just m- boring. That, That's it's like what? It, like I don't know. It's it's a big. Night, well, he's not champion anymore, but yeah, I know. But it's a big. Yeah. But he's still on on a lot of the main events uh, yeah. of like the, this tournament. But yeah, I think it's such a downgrade from Shizaki being sort of the first champion that you're when you're following the company. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the four block set out though. I think it's. I don't know. Bit... I don't. I don't. I don't know if I do. I, I kind of don't like it. I don't mind it. it. Feels, it feels too short. It does. It does. But I mean, I don't mind anything different. I do, however, really like. Now, this is probably the highlight of the show and the N one tournament. I do like how they put up this restless stats on the screen during the match. Mm-hmm. I think it's like it's a. It's. A, they took that from the ET. Did, did they? Yeah. Oh well. Well, well, it's the same company now. Steal, so. uh, I guess it is, but st- I yeah. mean, I don't mind stealing as long as you're stealing the good parts. Exactly. But uh, but yeah, the the you know, the, I'm not I'm not out here to say like everything in Noah sucks or anything. I'm not really that far down on them, but you know, so far this tournament has gotten off to like a eh, a pretty eh start is what I would say. Not like a terrible start because both nights had at least one match. I put it four stars, but like there's a lot of stuff here I wasn't into, as we'll get to here again. Uh, the show opened with the D block. Uh, it was Masakatsu Funaki defeating Akatoshi Saito in twelve fifty three. Uh, I thought this match was very boring early. Why too absolutely long. nothing. Absolutely nothing going on. I mean, they just stand there looking at each other for a while, not in the cool Go Fujita way. Just a very boring looking at each other. Uh, after a long stretch of nothing, we finally do get something. Uh, Saito pulled the mats up off the floor and piled, hit a pile driver on Funaki out there on the floor. that I did not see that coming. It was kind of cool. Uh, but then Saito slowly controlled Funaki back in the ring, uh, eventually hits an Iron Claw slam, but Funaki essentially no-sells it and hits a rolling capo kick to put Saito down. Uh, they both got back up. They traded elbows from Saito, open hand slaps from Funaki, and then Funaki finally catches his arm, looking for an elbow, takes him straight down the mat into a triangle, and then gets the arm extended into a cross-arm breaker, and Saito has no choice but to tap out immediately. I thought this was really boring a lot of the way. Not like the worst match I've ever seen or anything. A couple of the bumps were cool. But like like I said, most of this bored me. So a below average match for sure. I went two and a quarter. Yeah, I went two as well. I, sh- I shot up though for the pile driver. That's for sure. But I looked, I got a text message in between um, Saito rolling Funaki back in the ring. And when I put my phone back down after applying, Funaki was back in control. And I was like, what the, what the fuck? He just got pile driven on the floor. So, and that's sort of like, I was like, whatever. I lo- Saito's got th- cool fan music. I'll say that. 
I like his theme song. Yeah, yeah, about two two stars. Match two in the C block, Kazuchi Sakuraba defeated Kotaro Suzuki in fifteen oh two. Just a lot of mat work here. Not a lot. It was very exciting. Uh, you know, this is where like you know, I'm just I'm really trying with the N one. It was very tough to go from the G one with crowds straight to this very dry, empty arena mat work. Just didn't do anything for me. And then uh, Kotaro taps out to an armbar. Virtually, virtually right after the 15-minute call. Uh, nothing wrong with this one. Nothing I really liked about it either. So I gave it the exactly average rating of two and a half. There you go. <laughs> I was ex- I was exactly two and a half as well. I, I usually like Sakuraba as well. Me too. Yeah. Um, I thought he was pretty good in last year's tournament. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's so dry. It's such a dry environment. Yeah. And yeah, it's 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 this. There's no. This is going to be where the ta- rest of the tournament is until the finals, isn't it? I, I assume so. Oh no, no, no. There's a. There's night five. So there's night three and night four, uh, which is obviously night three happened today, and then night four is tomorrow. The no fans. Then night five is Sunday, September twenty sixth in Corican, and you finally get all everybody from the block wrestling up one show. So it's an eight match show, and that'll be in front of fans. And then the finals okay. will be in front of fans. So. Okay, because it's yeah, it's not conducive going from G one even even not in like even the two Oda City shows coming up. It's you can't watch those before this. Yeah, um, it's really it's really tough. It really kills again as we we both like Sakuraba, but there's just nothing he can do here. It's out of his control. Uh, match number three was Masaki Mochizuki defeating Daiki Inaba. In at twelve thirty nine, uh, these two finally do bring a little excitement to this lifeless show. At this point, <laughs> they hit each other pretty hard. They did some moves other than very slow mat wrestling, which again, the, I, it's not like I, I like mat wrestling, but like there is something about really really slow mat wrestling in these first two matches and the complete lack of any atmosphere at all in this dark empty room with no fans there that just really combines to make it. Almost unwatchable. It so. feels like a training drill. Like it feels like I'm exactly. watching wrestlers training, yeah. and I don't want to watch them train. I want to watch them wrestle. Uh, unfortunately, with this match that is otherwise very quite good, uh, Mochizuki kind of screws up the finish. He takes a moment to set himself after leaving the second turnbuckle with a Sankakagiri to the face. Uh, it's unfortunate with the finish, but yeah, it just didn't. You know, it was kind of an awkward spot. Uh, this was not any kind of blow away match or anything, but. Uh, the first two matches almost came off that way, uh, but I went three and a quarter. You know, pretty good. Uh, couldn't go higher than that, especially with the kind of botched finish. But a breath of fresh air after the first two for sure. Yeah, I'm probably around that three and a quarter, even maybe three and a half, just because it. Like you're right, it's so much. It's, it's so much better, or at least more. It had more life in it than the first two. Um, that it felt probably if this was. Anywhere else, it'd probably be maybe a three, maybe even yeah, three probably. But just, yeah, it, this 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 show this card definitely needed it for sure. Uh, the main event was in the A block. Kaito Kiyomiya defeated Manabu Soya in twenty five oh seven. This was great. I mean, this was the match that almost saved the show. Uh, well, both guys first the show, all, right? Like, I guess so. You could say that one out of four matches, but yeah, yeah, you could say it saved the show. Uh, both guys go the route here of being louder than usual. Try to make up for the total lack of crowd noise. Probably a smart move. Uh, I particularly noticed this when Kaito 
was struggling to make of the ropes during a Soya Boston crab. He was like really screaming, which I was like, okay, good. You know what you're doing here, trying to make up for the lack of any crowd noise. Uh, that was like right before the 15 minute call. And it just this match just had a lot of really nice action throughout. Uh, there was a moment where like Soya got dropped on his head with a German suplex just to pop up and hit a very nice spear. That was a highlight. And they end up finding the top rope where Soya hits a nice power slam off of there for another two count just before the 20 minute call. And Kaito, you know, the whole match is basically, he's trying to fight from underneath against the bigger Soya, which is like Kaito always excels at that. He's great at being the underdog and fighting from underneath uh, to his detriment. Sometimes as people pointed out during the, the long title reign, that didn't really work, but this is, you know, this let him do what he did, what he does best. And he was really quite good here. Uh, he finally put Soya down with some nice drop kicks and then an inverted DDT. But Soya just barely kicked out before the three count. But then Kaito pretty quickly after that hits the Tiger suplex hold just as we get the 25 minute call. And that is finally the pin. Uh, I thought this was pretty awesome. I went four stars flat on it. Uh, I guess you could say they're at least giving us one awesome match per show. Uh, but I, I didn't think the, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if this made up for the first two matches or anything or the atmosphere of the show. But maybe just skip to this match, honestly. Maybe just you can watch this, the semi-main event. No doubt. Like don't don't watch anything else on this card. Like Yeah, the semi-main event you can watch if you feel like it. But the uh, main event is the only thing yeah. you really gotta watch. And I'm I'm lower on the main event than you, just slightly. I went three point seven five. Um uh, is this the first time um uh Kiyomi has shown off his new look? Oh maybe. Yeah. With the so. black hair and the and the yeah. primarily black pants. I think that's true, yeah, because they, they were yelling about the uh, the new tights when he came out. Right. Yeah, I like the look. Yeah, but they showed a they, they showed a picture of him, obviously pre look, and I was like, and his hair didn't look as blonde as I pictured it in my head when I saw the new look. So, but yeah, I like the new look. Um, I think I think actually Sawyer was maybe the. MVP of this match a little bit. Like I thought he yeah, played, was great. I thought he played his role um, like to perfection. Like, you know, n- you know, he wasn't, you know, he's, he's not doing the stereotypical great, you know, wrestling epic things that, you know, we've come to know from, you know, the, the greats of this era. But like he, his his role it was just perfect. And he allowed, as you said, Kiyomiya to do what he does best. So yeah, really Really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, but it's it's Kiyomiya. What what do you expect, really? There's what like maybe uh, Soy is pretty good too. But I mean, Kiyomiya is probably what one of the three best wrestlers in this tournament. Yeah, I think so. I mean, prob- probably I I probably put him number one, honestly. But yeah, I mean, he probably is. I I like Nakajima just on a personal level more. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, yeah, but j- that's just my personal preference. Yeah, those, that, it, it would be those two and Sugera. Those were the only three. Uh, Kano as well. Kano, yeah, Kano is yeah, right I there like too. Kano. Yeah, um, I like Kano a lot too, but I put him just below those guys. Right. Okay. Um, Vegeta, same thing. But I'm not. I'm not super high on Vegeta <laughs> personally. Um, and Masato Tanaka too. Actually, I've forgotten all about him. But. Well, I mean, like there, there is good, there is good matches in this tournament, but it's just about cherry picking them, I, I suppose. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there were a few good matches on night three. I'll give you that. I'll give you the heads up. 
Uh, but there are also a, a couple of ones that I really didn't like that much. So I will cover all that on the Omakase Patreon tomorrow, along with Night 4. So check that out, patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase. Uh, a link, of course, in the description. So the standings after the two, first two nights, everybody had to wrestle one match at this point. Uh, a block, you have Kaito at 1-0 over two points. Sugara and Muto had the draw. They both have one point, And Soya, of course, has z- zero points. Other blocks are more simple. B block, B block, you have Kendo Kashin and Masaki Mochizuki with the win. Inaba and Kano are both 0-1. C block, you have Masao Tanaka and Sakuraba with the win. And Kotaro Suzuki and Nakajima are both 0-1. And then D block, Fujita and Funaki both have the win. And Saito and Kitamiya are both 0-1. Uh, so the winner of each block, if people don't know this, how this works for the four blocks, goes to a semifinal. So it's A versus B and C versus D. And then the two winners of those matches, of course, face off in the final. So there you go. So we'll get more into Noah, like I said, on the Patreon tomorrow with nights three and four. All right, Harley, anything you want to plug or anything for your wrap? Uh, uh, not, 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 not really. I've again, my Twitter is on private. There's no. Um, I might see it if you follow it, but I don't really tweet about wrestling, um, at all. Really, um, I don't really tweet that very, much at all. Very, so they, you don't need to follow me on Twitter. You don't need to do any of that sort of stuff. Uh, but but do 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 subscribe to the uh, Wrestling Omakase Patreon. That's, that's, that's my plug. There you go. Uh, so the Patreon will be at patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase. Uh, of course, we'll be covering the G1 and the M1 for the next two weeks before we're back here on the free show with more coverage on October 3rd, the NOAA N1 final and the G199. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Russell Omakase. Uh, wrestling would not fit, of course. And I want to thank you as always for listening. And I will see you next time. I'm very tired. Goodbye, everybody. See you later.